Welcome to episode 96 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. In this episode, we are going to spend some time talking to Grant Lawrence, the singer of those Canadian clown princes of fun, The Smugglers. Grant is also the force behind the recent Lookout Zoom Out series of live stream performances. Now, The Smugglers were on Lookout Records in what was kind of the golden age of pop punk. To me, the mid-1990s. Lookout Records, they were a huge part of that era. Lookout Zoom Out has brought back several bands from that era, kind of that golden age of pop punk, with live performances by Dr. Frank of Mr. T Experience, Lisa from Cub, Dan Vapid, Kebby Gooley of the Groovy Ghoulies, and more. Not only do you get to hear performances by those people and those bands during the Lookout Zoom Out streams, you also get to interact with the performers, ask them questions, talk to them a little bit, that kind of thing. That's super, super rad to me. There's nothing out there, no live streams really that I know of that are quite like the Lookout Zoom Out series of live streams. There have been two so far, one in January and one in February of 2021. There is one more, number three of the Lookout Zoom Outs, planned on March 28th of this year, 2021. We're going to talk all about the Lookout Zoom Out stuff in this upcoming interview. Don't worry about that. I would also like to mention, yes, this episode is an interview with Grant of The Smugglers and Grant of Lookout Zoom Out, but... Grant is much more than just the singer of The Smugglers and the creator, host, and MC of the Lookout Zoom Out streams. I mean, a lot more. Oh my God, this guy. Grant is a radio personality on the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. He has been doing that since the mid-1990s. Grant does podcasts, and he has been doing podcasts since the mid-2000s. Grant is the author of a book about his time touring with the smugglers, and coming up pretty soon, a children's book titled Bailey the Bat. Grant wears a ton of hats, and you know what? He wears them very well, I think. Grant and I had a lot to talk about in this episode during the interview, so let's get to it. But first... I'm going to tell you about the music of this episode, and we're going to do the beer of the episode as well. The music in this episode is my personal best of the smugglers. The first song right after this kind of intro part and before the interview is the song Death at Disneyland. Kind of starting strong with my very favorite smuggler song. I got to mention, Grant and I did talk about Disneyland a little bit and some of the kind of weird things that happened there prior to the actual proper interview itself. You can catch that kind of uncut portion of the interview on my Patreon page. Yes, the Patreon page. How do you get access to that? Well, easy. You go to www.patreon.com slash I want to party with Bob. There you can sign up a dollar a month. It gives you access to that exclusive kind of uncut interview episode with Grant, plus a lot more. So do it. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. The next song up is the song Rosie. And that will appear between part one and part two of the interview, which should be right around halfway through the episode. Lastly, the song Buddy Holly Convention will close out this episode in hipster glasses wearing style at the very, very end. Well, right now, though, it is time for the... Beer of the Episode.
Yes, the beer of the Grant Lawrence episode is the Canadian Wig Splitter Imperial Stout, brewed by none other than Plan 9 Alehouse. This 8.66% alcohol by volume stout is brewed with bourbon barrel-aged maple syrup and is also very appropriately named for an episode featuring the King of Canada, Grant Lawrence. Yes, the King of Canada, indeed. Well, let's give this beer a try. Ooh, it's got bite. Definitely has bite, kind of like those Canadian winters. Yeah, bada bing, bada boom. That's wow. Let me try that again. Holy cow! It's good. Yeah, tastes a lot stronger than that eight point six 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 percent alcohol by volume would have you believe. It's good. Yeah, you can tell. There's that hint of bourbon in there, and uh, yeah. There's definitely a little bit of maple, maple flavor, maple syrup flavor in there. Good stuff, great stuff, which you can get at Play Nine Ale House, which is located at 155 East Grand Avenue in Escondido, California. Reach them by phone at 760-489-8817 or on the web at www.playin9alehouse.com. Home of this beer, the Canadian Wig Splitter, and many more fine beers. Well, let's get to the episode itself. Let's do this. Here is the song Death at Disneyland, followed by the interview with Grant. Please stay tuned.
welcome Grant Lawrence to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Yeah, thanks so much, Bob. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Of course, of course. Well, we're here mostly to talk about the Lookout Zoom Out series of kind of live streams that you've been involved mm -hmm. in lately in the early this early part of 2021. First, I'd like to get a little background on you, you know, for the listeners, especially sure. Lookout Records and Lookout Bands. When did that whole thing kind of come into your life? Well, as a kid, uh, when I was uh, in a like sort of a teenager in the 1980s, I was getting into rock and roll and my own bands and punk rock and garage rock music. And, you know, back then when you were buying bands uh, and, and looking for cool music, a lot of it wasn't necessarily the band name. You discovered cool bands once you started to trust a record label. Sure. So, you know, like, like sub pop is a famous example of that. Like, you know, people would sign up for their uh, sub pop singles club and they never knew what they were going to get. They just trusted sub pop's taste that they were going to get something cool. And, and sure enough, a lot of those singles, if you were in the sub pop singles club, they're extremely valuable now. And so for me, Lookout Records, when it started in the late 80s and getting into the early 90s, was very similar to that. Like back, I call it the black and white Lookout era because everything was done like for as little money as possible. Sure. Uh, out of Northern California, Larry Livermore, David Hayes. And they, they were just two guys who were basically blown away by what was percolating in the Northern California pop punk ska scene. And they were just like, somebody's got to document this. Like, this is amazing. And that's what you see really in great music scenes all over the world is someone says, we, I, I have to document this. I got to like record this. I got to put out these records. And again, you know, Sub Pop Seattle, Motown, Detroit, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, uh, and in San Francisco, there were lots, you know, there was, uh, you could cite alternative tentacles or for sure lookout. And they captured this amazing scene. And so I started noticing records by, you know, Operation Ivy and Green Day and the Mr. T experience. And I would flip the record over and I would see that iconic Lookout logo. And I love the Mr. T experience. And I loved a lot of Screeching Weasel. And I just started buying everything that came out on Lookout. And my band... Uh, got to, I, I, I don't even know if we, we even considered Lookout as a possibility, but we were first on a Canadian label, uh, Nardwar, the Human Serviettes label. That called was your Nardwar first Records. release, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. First couple records were on that. Went to high school with Nardwar. Now he's a big YouTube star. And uh, then, you know, we kind of, we got onto a label in Seattle called Pop Lama, which was famous for the Fastbacks and the Young Fresh Fellows and later the Presidents of the United States of America. But then uh, we started meeting up with other Lookout bands on tour. And some of them would say, hey, you'd be a great fit for Lookout. And we we're like, what? You know, really? The Smugglers? And by about the mid-1990s, 94, 95, we started really seriously talking with Lookout. And by 96, early 96, our first full-length album on Lookout came out called Selling the Sizzle. And it was like a dream come true. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, 
five years ago, I was picking out the lookout records uh, from the singles bin and the new releases bin. And here I was five years later, actually on the label. And it was almost like, I mean, it's hyperbole, but it was, it was kind of like winning the, the indie rock lottery at that time to land on a label like lookout because, you know, our sales went from, you know, hovering around zero uh, in our previous releases, you know, a couple thousand, whatever to just skyrocketing. And all it was, was lookout. The name, I mean, sure. sure. The name and, and the the tours suddenly did really well. And merchandise sales suddenly did well for the first time ever. And it was all because of that trademark of quality that, that had aligned with us. And we, the cool thing about lookout, besides that trademark of quality association is that all the bands and the staff and everybody, there was a real family atmosphere. And that's why they kind of call it the golden age of lookout. Yeah. You know, the Donna's and the queers, Mr. T experience, pansy division, all these amazing bands. And we're all still really good friends. A lot of us to this day. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's what kind of spurred the, both the pandemic and the and the the facts that the fact that we're all still friends spurred the the lookout zoom out idea. So you were a kid. I mean, this is when Smuggler started in '88 when you were all in that's secondary right. school or or high school. Yeah. I think yeah. would be our equivalent that's of right. that. And Smuggler started as a cover band. Is that the is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I think I think like almost every band, uh, we started playing covers first, you know, by The Who, The Sonics, The Velvet Underground, The Cramps. That was kind of our thing. We were kind of trying to be sort of this like kind of dark West Coast pea jacket, you know, all the clothes you can't wear in San Diego, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. dark toques, wool turtlenecks. You know, we kind of wanted to look like we wanted a 60s aesthetic in that, you know, we saw all these cool 60s garage bands that wore matching clothes. Ah. So uh, Nardwar suggested the name The Smugglers, and uh, we, we did it, and we put it together with this concept. And it morphed over the years, but at the beginning, we were really into the Sonics, the Cramps, and the Velvet Underground, so we did all of their songs. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was sort of a 60s, 80s sort of uh, garage punk hybrid that evolved over the years, but the main current that has run through the smugglers forever is just rock and roll. Like, you know, we, we love the, the early rolling stones and, and that was kind of our blueprint, uh, lead singer, two guitars, bass drums. And so that has always been, I think we've sort of surfed genres, you know, like garage rock, I mean, sometimes people would even call us a grunge band, but really, we never were. We just came never up heard in that. that. Yeah, I no. never heard that. Oh, <laughs> believe me, we were called that uh, because we came up with a lot of the Seattle bands in that era of grunge. Sure, sure. We would get lumped into that. And then when we got onto Lookout, we were put into the pop punk wagon. But we've always basically been just a garage rock and roll band. Like a rock and roll. Yeah. I, if I had to say anything about the smugglers, I would say they're kind of like a good time rock and roll band. Yeah. We're a party me. band. Yeah. Yeah. But that's great. Yeah. That's per- That's rock and roll. That's rock yeah. and roll. You put out 
it looks like smugglers had about five full length records on lookouts. Yeah. About that. Would you say kind of those years, kind of like you said, almost those golden years, were those the best years for the smugglers in some ways? No, no question. Yeah. I mean, as soon as we signed a lookout, like, as I said, like the sales just went instantly up, uh, royalties for the first time ever. And this was, uh, we started in 88. We got into lookout in 95. I mean, you know, there was a period of five, six, seven, eight, you know, there's several years there, seven years before we kind of clicked. Uh, and, and, but it was good that we had those seven years because we learned how to be a good band yeah. in those seven years sure. of a lot of thankless touring, a lot of playing to nobody uh, all over the United States. And by the time we got to Lookout, we were, we were like a, a well-oiled machine. Sure. You know, we were just ready. And so the timing was right. So we went out on the road right away and the shows were just went from, you know, again, a handful of people that just sold out merchandise was crazy. So those years were great because Lookout not only sent us all over North America, but also around the world. So we were playing in Japan, Australia, New Zealand, uh, repeated trips to Europe, videos in rotation. Like it, it was all just kind of a, a whirlwind. Uh, but then, you know, like all things, there's, there's a up and then there's a down, there's a down, unfortunately. Sure. You know, I've realized over my many years in the music industry that, you know, to really sustain a career and to really live off of it, there's exceptions always, but to really live off of it, you really need a breakthrough song. You need like a, a song, a hit song to make it onto the radio or whatever, to really kind of rest your laurels and, and just live off your music. Other than that, it's just like a constant, constant hustle. And, you know, as you, I'm sure know, uh, keeping a band together when it's a constant hustle is a big challenge. And guys, guys will start dropping off. And I didn't want to be that revolving door band of, of members. So after God, I don't know, 15, you know, I mean, things are falling apart at lookout too. So we just kind of, we just said, all right, that's it. Around 2004, 2005, we, we called it. And said, okay, we're going to take a break for a while. We're not going to. Yeah, we took a 13-year break. So you didn't get back to get until, I think, 2017. There was kind of a reunion thing at Gilman. Yeah, we did. A, I was writing a book about the smugglers because I kept a tour diary the whole time. And um, so I thought, well, I'm sitting on all these tour diaries. And there a lot of them were quite outrageous and very honest and because that's the cool thing about writing a diary is you're not trying to impress anyone. You're just writing to yourself. So there's not a lot of bullshit. It's like the raw, the raw goods. And if the show is terrible, I wrote it and I beat us up about it. And if the show is great, I, I wrote about that too. So I was writing that. And then I was talking to the guys like, you know, I'm writing the smugglers book. They were all aware of it. They were proofreading it. And then this kid, really great, great guy. Uh, I guess he's a man now, Alex Botkin. Alex from uh, you know? Sarcasm. Yeah, I yeah, know Alex. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he wrote me in 2016, and he said, hey, I know this is a total shot in the dark, and I know you haven't played in, like, well over a decade, but would the smugglers consider reforming for the 30th anniversary of Gilman Street, uh, the iconic 924 Gilman, the iconic uh, you know, punk rock, kind of mecca kind of at the mecca, center it is it really yeah, is of, yeah of the of the of the scene 
And we had played there many, many times and loved it. Always had a great show there. Meant a lot to us. And it was an honor to be asked. So I, I didn't think there was any hope, but I had the book coming out and I went around to each guy in an email and one by one, you know, there's four guys I was waiting on and, you know, yes, yes, yes. So I got three yeses, waited, waited, waited. And the stickiest member, Dave Carswell, our guitarist, he came through with yes. And I was like, I can't believe this. We're actually going to do it. And I wrote back to Alex and I said, I don't believe this, but the smugglers are in. And that weekend turned out to be just an incredible weekend. The show we played at Gilman sold out like in less than a day. And it was the Mr. T experience, Pansy Division, the smugglers, Squirt Gun, Brent CV, and Kepi Gooley. And uh, it was just fantastic. The whole weekend was amazing. And a bunch of the people on Lookout have books out now. And actually, you know, the end of my book was actually quite depressing. And it ended in San Diego at the Kensington. At the Ken Club. Yeah, on a Sunday night with Kepi, with the Ghoulies. And and it was just like we were finishing up a, a California tour. And it was 2004, I think. And the show, we had done a lot of great shows in San Diego, but we had always only played the Casbah. Okay, sure. With Tim, with Tim Mays. Yeah. Yep. Uh, playing with with all sorts of people for years and years and years, going back to the early 90s, playing with all sorts of cool, either local San Diego bands or touring bands or whatever. We had never played anywhere else. And so we played this Kensington place, which was a cool place, but it was a Sunday night. And Sunday night yeah, gigs rough. are just like, they're they're rough no matter, no matter what, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then the promoter didn't put up any posters, you know, that sort of sob story and nobody came. And I, I remember it was specifically kind of dark because I had convinced Nick, our guitarist to miss his daughter's second birthday to, I convinced him to tag on a Sunday show to miss his daughter's second birthday back in Canada. You know, we had played a great show in LA at the truck or the Troubadour uh, with the Donnas, I think the night before. Oh wow! And it was, it was huge. Exactly. And I convinced, convinced Nick to tag on a show at the Kensington with the groovy ghoulies on a Sunday night. And it was, it was a bad show. Nobody came. Oh boy. And, and Nick was like, I'm missing my daughter's second birthday for that. And we got paid about 50 bucks. Oh, right. And then that night we, we decided to drive back to LA, which we should never do never drive after the gig and cause everyone's exhausted and it was a bad gig and we were all, and we were listening uh, we turned, we we're turning on the radio, looking for something on the radio and we found, uh, Rodney, Rodney Bingenheimer. Sure. Rodney on the rock. Who, yeah. Who I consider to be like a God who was the first American DJ to play artists like, uh, you know, the sex pistols and the Ramones and Blondie yeah. and even going back to David Bowie. and here he was, it was like Sunday night into Monday morning and it was like two in the morning and that was his time slot. Yeah. I'm like, this guy is not getting any respect. This is pathetic. And here we are driving back from a gig where we were just played 50 bucks. Like is everybody just on their way down? And then Rodney played the hives who are our buddies from Sweden. And they, he, she, uh, Rodney played like main offender or something. And then he announced that the hives, had just signed 
one of the biggest major label deals of the decade. The decade, yeah, yeah. A uh, worldwide deal with Universal for some, he said the number, and it was something like in like, it was like 10 million bucks oh or something my. like that. Oh. And they were our friends, and we, they were a lot like us, garage band, sort of same Rolling Stones sort of blueprint formation, two guitars, bass, drums, lead singer. And there we were in this van after a terrible show, $50, uh, listening to Rodney in the middle of the night, hearing about the hives, signing for millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And we were just like, that's it. Like we're, And that was it. That was the last gig we played wow. until that Gilman reunion. And I'm so, so glad that it ended, that that, that wasn't our last show. That, that, that wasn't you know, the end, right. No. Yeah, you didn't go out on that note or however you want to say it, you know. Yeah, and then the Gilman show was, in, was fantastic and totally triumphant and great because distance makes the heart grow fonder. And then we played about six other reunion shows that year to promote the book around North America. And then that's been it again. We, we after a show in Seattle in either 2019 or 2020, we haven't played again. Oh, wow. So, but no plans yeah. of actually stopping for 100%? Uh, like, we are done, we are pr- not playing Probably again. not. Probably not. I, no, no, nothing definitive. I mean, I, I'm a never say never kind of guy. You know, Dave Carswell, our guitarist, is, is very, very, very picky on what he will do. And he played a bunch of reunion shows for us and the book, and I'm really happy that he did that. And if if we never play again, I uh, I leave now totally satisfied. Great. You know, so we had a really great, uh, you know, we played, I think it was Berkeley, Vancouver, Seattle. We played the, the last show with the Muffs before oh, wow. Kim's illness. It was her final show. So that'll be in my memory wow. forever before she passed away about a year later. Or so tragically. Uh, one of my great friends in rock and roll. And then we played like New York and Toronto and I think Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Wow. And, and <laughs> yeah, that was for the 30th anniversary of a really cool club there called Amigos that, that we had always played. So that was, that was our kind of victory lap. And if that is all we do, totally happy and satisfied. Well, fan, you can't ask for more than that. That's great. Yeah. And the only reason I know about Saskatoon or Saskatchewan at all is because of the show Corner Gas, by the way, which is oh, really? like my favorite TV show of all time at this point. Wow. I absolutely love that show for some reason. That's, that's so interesting to hear that. You know, as a Canadian, I'm friends with the, a couple of the guys. I'm friends with, with the guy, Craig Northey, who wrote the song. Okay, uh, the, sure. The, the theme song. Yeah. He's a really good friend of mine. And then I know Brent Butt. But embarrassingly, uh, I, I'll say, but no pun intended. Uh, I have never seen the show. Really? It's no, a great I've never show. seen Corner Gas. Oh my god! It is yeah. such. And you know, I mean, short side note. To me, it's kind of like the Canadian Seinfeld in the sense that it's a show that is literally kind of about nothing. You know, right. they're just all these people living in this small town doing small town, small town yeah. antics, you know? Oh God, it's, well, a, it's I, a great show. It's such a great show. Have you ever heard of the, the Canadian show, the beachcombers? I have heard of it. I have not seen it, but I have heard of it. 
Well, corner gas is kind of a, uh, from what I understand, is is like a prairie takeoff on the beachcombers, which was again kind of the same, like all set around a diner. Uh, which I guess this one was all set around a gas station, a gas station and a diner, kind of, or the main yeah. locations. Yeah. And and this one was all set around a uh, a waterfront diner and with boats coming and going. It was sort of an ocean show. Oh. And I love I love the Beachcombers. That's my favorite Canadian show. But that was from when I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, so you know maybe I mean I don't think the Beachcombers content wise has the staying power of corner gas i know brent butt is a brilliant comedian he's pretty hilarious dry yeah you know pretty dry dry. humor but yeah hilarious yes yeah Yeah, absolutely and that's all based uh pretty much on his life right because he grew up in saskatchewan like in the middle of nowhere right like in in the middle of nowhere and and i would see brent butt doing stand-up uh early on and a lot of his stand-up was about small town saskatchewan and meat draws and and, you know, the, the gas station and stuff like that. And, you know, small town gossip and things like that. And it's really amazing to see him spin that into basically a career, you know, like yeah. the, the corner gas hit. And then I think now the animated show is a, is a big hit as well. It's good. It's funny. It's great. I love it. I love them both. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I've like been to remember the whole show. How, almost. Did, how does the theme go again? Um, it's, there's not a lot, yeah, there's not a lot going on. There's not a lot going on. Yeah. It's a great. Yeah, take a look, baby. You're so wrong. There's not a lot yeah. going on. Something about that. It's something like you said, your dog's been gone for three days. And it's basically the point of the song is if you look at it, it looks like there's not a lot of stuff going yeah. on, but there's actually more than meets the eye there kind of thing. Right. You know? Yeah. So. It's, a, it's a brilliant song. And, uh, yeah, so I, I know a lot of the key players in that show. I just actually haven't watched the show. Wow, that's great. Well, now yeah. you just, you know, God, you just made me fanboy out pretty hard there with that statement, you know. Boy, Corner Gas, like I'm the I'm the head of the fan club in the United States at Corner Gas at this point, Jeez. I think. So. <laughs> well, you must, I mean, do you follow Brent Budd and Craig Northy on Instagram? No, I don't. No, I have not have not gone that far yet, no. You should. I, I mean, will. that's not... I will not going that far <laughs> you're right <laughs> it's not like you're showing up at their houses right? <laughs> right can you can you sign my vhs copy yeah. of corner gas please <laughs> okay. yeah <laughs> okay so speaking of kind of the canadian broadcasting corporation that yeah. my next question was more or less after that smugglers kind of going on that hiatus you got into radio more or less and it was yeah. telling stories kind of your audio tour diaries of your time in the smugglers. Is that right? Yeah, man, you've done some good research here, Bob. This is impressive. Uh, yeah, that is exactly what happened. Uh, so basically uh, when the smugglers started touring more and more internationally, various uh, radio shows on the CBC that played cool music would say, Hey, uh, why don't you call in from the road and, you know, tell us what's going on in Kansas City or tell us what's going on in Spain or Tokyo or, or whatever, uh, wherever we happen to be that week. And so we would call into a, sh- a really cool late night show called Nightlines that played just anything and everything nationally in Canada. It, ah. was, it was really cool. And a uh, host was named David Wisdom, and he was kind of like the John Peel of Canada. And so 
we would call in and, and I remember I would say to the guys, okay, Hey, we've got to call in uh, this Saturday to nightline. So, but we had a whole week. So we'd be like, okay, so what's the best story that's happened on tour this week? And we would discuss the stories and they'd say, you know, go with the, go with the stick up at the, at the convenience store that you witnessed or go with you know so and such a story or go with the, you know, shitting your pants or, or whatever. And then um, oh, that old classic of the road. Oh, yes. The believe me, I pants. did. Yes. I, I did tell that story. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Cause I, cause I threw the underwear out the window of the place we were staying and it landed on the roof of our van and, <laughs> and stuck there for weeks. It was a hot summer. But anyway, uh, oh, that's a crazy, crazy story. That one is called that story. The title of that story Oft repeated, it's called "I Ship My Pants in Saskatoon." Uh, <laughs> all roads back it. to Saskatoon, but uh, like, but then the the crazy thing is, is that when I was doing the calls live to national radio in Canada, some crazy things would also occur while I was actually doing the calls. So I would have some cool, crazy story lined up. But then sometimes the story was like, what would actually happen to me? And I'll, I'll, I'll you know, one of them, I alluded to it. One of them was a uh, convenience store. I was on a payphone outside of a convenience store in New York City, and the convenience store got robbed while I was on the phone, oh like, robbed, like robbed at gunpoint. And everyone ignored me. And I was on the phone, like, talking about it the whole time. And the police showed up, and the guy got arrested, and nobody said a word to me the whole time. And then, uh, even the cops didn't come to you and no, say, nothing, Hey, did you see no, anything? Nothing, like, no, you're like, no, no, no. Hey, sorry. Nothing. I'm on the phone. I can't well, talk. Well, right the now. way, <laughs> the way it happened was, um, the guy came in with this little, little gun. I, I remember I was like, that is the tiniest gun. He said, give me all the money in the cash register. And the, the guy be behind the till did nothing. And this was New York Mark's place, but he clearly pushed some sort of button or something because this steel shutter just slammed down oh, wow. in front of the cashier. And the guy, the guy with the gun was like, what, what? And then he must have hit another button because this steel gate slammed down uh, where the where the opening, where the doors were. Yeah. And all of a sudden the guy was locked inside was the store. inside of the store. Trapped inside the store. And then the cops showed up and they were super casual with them. They're like, wow. you know, put, put the gun down on the ground. And, you know, like they almost like they knew him. And they're, you know, New York City cops, they were not aggressive at all. They were just like, come on, let's go, let's go. And even the robber wasn't even that aggressive. I'm like, this is bizarre. Like, <laughs> like they all know each other. That is so and, weird. And it was over. Like the entire thing was over in like 15 minutes. I was reporting it all live on the phone. And the shop just shutter went back up, gate went back up, and it was just back open for business. Business as usual after that. Yeah, like like yeah, and if like something happened like that in Canada, like the store would basically be shut for like a week with police tape. While they're doing it. an investigation and yeah, trying to yeah. getting collecting DNA samples. Exactly, and to out exactly. And this was the nineties. And then one other crazy thing that happened while I was doing a live call was I was in Atlanta, Georgia at this super cool bohemian area of Atlanta called little five points where everybody throws their shoes up on the wire. Oh, sure. And so you got two a pair of shoes yeah. hanging by the shoe, shoelaces kind of thing. Yeah. Except, 
everybody did it. So in these, in this place called Little Five Points, where five streets all come to an intersection, the the wires which crisscross all over the place are filled with thousands of pairs of old shoes. It's like it's art, basically. Yeah. So anyway, super bohemian hippies and druggies and you know goths and punks and all sorts of people congregating, kind of like you know a. a it was sort of like a nineties version of hate Ashbury or something like that. Sure. Sure. And, and I'm on the payphone Cause you know, I was always trying to hunt down a payphone, and there was like just all sorts of stuff going on in this square that I was in. And I could feel, I felt pressure on my shoulder and I thought, God, like I'm trying to talk to live radio. And I felt this sort of like someone putting hand on my shoulder. I'm like, God, you know, like, because back then, if you wanted to use the phone, sometimes you would tap on the person's shoulder at the payphone. Right. Like, are you going like, to be hey, much longer? Yeah. It's yeah. Like I'm, I'm waiting. And I thought that that's what someone was doing, but they were pushing on my shoulder, like pushing down on it with downward pressure. I'm like, what the fuck? This is so creepy. What are you doing? <laughs> I turned my, my chin and I will never forget this. As long as I live, I turned my chin and I couldn't even, I couldn't, process what I was seeing. But what I was seeing was this big, thick, scaly body. And it was the curvature of like a boa constrictor's body on my shoulder, like part of its body. And then I turned, I felt something on the other side of my face and I turned to my left side and basically like in the air was the head of a boa constrictor oh and its dead eyes staring right on my face with its tongue sticking out. And I just basically, and it's, it's, it, it, it was like resting on my shoulders by this point. And I just screamed into the phone. <laughs> I'm like, there's a snake on my shoulder. There's a huge snake. And this. David Wisdom was going, what are you talking about? He couldn't figure it out. And what had happened was this, that like, you know, I mentioned it was a Bohemian neighborhood. There was a snake charmer in the, the square that I was using the phone. And this sounds so preposterous, but it's true. The, the snake charmer had to go to the can and left and asked some like dudes playing hacky sack. Hey, could you watch my basket? And they, they didn't. Oh and this snake, uh, and I remember the snake's name because the, 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 this guy, the snake charmer came back from the bathroom and saw the snake on me. And he said, Hey, Bidja Bougie, what are you doing out of your basket, man? <laughs> and, uh, Bidja Bougie was the snake's name. And the guy came over and said, now, now be real still. Uh, otherwise she's liable to, to tighten up on you. And I'm like, God, get her off me, get her off me. And, he lifted her off and it was like lifting, like, like it was almost like dead weight off of me, but, uh, it was, that was outrageous. And so what happened was the snake came out of the basket, went up a tree beside the, the payphone and then like dropped down slowly, oh still onto a branch with its tail dropped down onto my shoulder and was just kind of checking me out. Holy cow. It's like Ka yeah. in the jungle book or something. You know? Yeah. Like just like Ka <laughs> oh and, my and God. Uh, trust in me. 
And it was like one of the most surreal experiences of my life, but that was all on the radio. So these moments, the stick up and the snake and other ones like it started getting like replayed on best of the year. And, you know, like, like highlight reels and all this stuff, like me screaming at the top of my lungs about a live snake, <laughs> right. and, you know, like, Hey, the store is getting robbed right now. The, the store I'm in, check it out. And I mean, and, and then, so when the smugglers had kind of an off year, uh, one of the guys was going to have a baby, a first, first kid. I got a job at the CBC as a researcher based on my ability to, to get on the radio and tell a story. But I started as a researcher, which was not an on-air position, Right. but I soon became the male guy. Like I'd read the letters to the show and then didn't start doing features and start doing stuff I was interested in. And then, then the host, you know, you wait long enough, host retires, they offer me the job and, and I've, I've been there ever since. And so my career, this the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is, it's about like, I don't know, 22 years yeah. now or something like that. And now, yeah, these days I'm the host of the countdown show, the national countdown show, which is called uh, the CBC music top 20. Top 20. I saw that. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I had no idea that those kind of things were even still going on. So they still go on. That's great. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely loved that kind of thing, especially when I was a kid and, I need that more of that in my life. It's really fun to listen to things yeah. like that, you know? Yeah, well, I do it every week. That also led to you becoming the host of a podcast, too, way back in, like, oh, yeah, way 2006, back. right? Yeah, 2005. It was, um, this was way, way, way before podcasts were a thing. Yeah. And uh, I had a really, I had a boss that was way ahead of his time. And in 2005, he said, hey, we had a really experimental unit at the CBC called CBC Radio 3, which was essentially, you know, it was like alternative. You know, it was, you know, just like punk and, and indie rock and anything that was kind of weird and sort of outside of the margins, we would play and we would champion. And then this, my boss was like, hey, I think we should do a podcast. And I, I had never heard the word. I didn't know right. what it meant. But, you know, it was all spun out of like your iPod right. and, you know, it's like there were those iPods and you take them with you and you can download music onto them. Well, you could also download a, a radio show that you could take with you, you know, in your pocket and you wouldn't have to listen at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night. You could listen anytime you anytime want. You could listen on, yeah. on your walk and your job. And it was all a foreign concept to me. I'm like, I don't get it. Like wouldn't they lose a signal if they went into like their gym or whatever? No, that's not a signal. You're, you're downloading the file to your iPod. And I didn't get it, but he's like, trust me, just do your thing. Tell the stories about the music, tell people why they should care. And let's just try it. And it became, it was the CBC's first ever original podcast. And it was like, basically, one of the most successful things I've ever done at the CBC. It, it was an instant hit. There was hundreds of thousands of listeners pretty much right away. I don't know where they came from. I don't know how, but what was ironic about that podcast is that it lasted for about 12 years. Wow. So it lasted from 2005 to 2017. 
weekly episodes for about the first eight or nine years. And then we went to monthly after that because it was starting to wind down. I mean, you know, even Seinfeld kind of sucked by season nine. I mean, you know, you can only go so far. And so we wrap it up. And, and I remember I actually, it it actually eventually ended up getting canceled. I remember our new boss called it a a piece of shit podcast. I was like, Hey, come on. Wow. And uh, anyway, he canceled it. And that like literally the following month, NPR launches cereal and basically revolutionizes podcasts. And, you know, then Mark Marin comes along and starts doing his talk show and, and, you know, Alec Baldwin and then the whole thing, the medium just explodes. But what I was doing was a little different. I was doing a music show. So we would do interviews and stuff like that, but they were never long form. You know, I'd interview someone for five, six, seven minutes. Yeah, minutes. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then we would do, we'd play like 12, it it was an hour long podcast, but we'd play 12 songs, full 12 full length songs. And then I'd talk in between the songs and maybe we'd have a feature or a special guest or whatever. But it was not what we hear or what we consider podcast today it was it was a different format wow Now you're doing 
wilderness adventure storytelling <laughs> podcast, which is very interesting to me. I yeah, they're all yeah. set in the Desolation Sound area of British Columbia, right? Is that that's is that right? True? Yeah, I mean, I when I was a kid, that's where my family had a cabin, and we we still do. And uh, it was a very totally raw Canadian wilderness, very hard to get to. And because it was so hard to get to, it became a kind of an escape for uh, draft dodgers and and oh. uh, conscientious objectors and what do you call it, uh, deserters, yeah. uh, Americans in the in the sixties and seventies with the Vietnam War, and they a lot of them ended up in Desolation Sound because it's the end of Pacific Coast Highway 101. So Pacific Coast Highway 101 uh, extends into Canada. So it goes, you know, I think it goes through San Diego. Yeah, all the way from Tijuana, basically, up to Canada. Yeah, all the way up the coast, and and it goes through right through Hollywood and right through downtown San Francisco, and it goes all the way up the coast of British Columbia, and it stops dead in this little town called Lund. And the hippies would follow Highway 101 all the way up to Lund. The weird sort of fish out of water nature of the story is that my dad was a staunch conservative and he'd be kind of like, he was the outdoorsman that you would see on the back of uh, the magazine where there's a guy like fly fishing with a, uh, a jacket and a cigarette and a cap and the, the sunglasses, <laughs> sure, so the, sure, the yes. rugged type of guy. Yes. He was not a back to the lander. He was not a hippie. He was that kind of rugged outdoorsman. And that's why he bought land in Desolation Sound for our family. And when he realized that the area was just chalk a block with these hippies, he was really pissed off about I, I it. Bet. I bet. And, but I was, kind of scared of them because my dad always told me hippies are bad. The Beatles are bad. You know, you don't want to be caught up in any of that. You, you want to listen. If you want to listen to music, listen to the beach boys, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And he blamed John Lennon for the hippie movements and all that kind of stuff. But I was kind of fascinated by that whole subculture. And even though I found it frightening and weird, you know, my hair was short and their hair was long and they, they, you know, they were lazy and my dad instilled a crazy work ethic into our family, sure. quote unquote lazy. And then the, the thing that changed our lives was a squatter, a hippie squatter moved in beside our cabin and started squatting in the Bay. And he was a sort of amazing philosopher type guy, very, very smart, very outdoorsy. And his name was uh, Russell Latosky, and he became known as the Hermit of Desolation Sound. Ah. And he lived he lived beside our cabin in a tent and then a shack for ten years. And that guy changed my life. Wow! That 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 man he he was total opposite of my dad, and he was like, you know, what do you what do you what do your parents listen to? I, I oh, they don't go too deep into the alphabet. It's sort of ABBA. Beach Boys, Carpenters, Carpenters the, I was A- gonna say. Yeah, yes. the ABCs, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like first, my dad, to be honest with you, so. you know, the, <laughs> the first three cassettes <laughs> at the record store. And then there we go. There's the road trip. And uh, he was like, well, you mean you don't have you listen? And my dad liked Elvis. And I remember Russell in his little shack saying to me, you know, Elvis is okay. But do you hear something about Elvis that a lot of not a lot of people realize? 
that guy, that guy didn't write a single song. He didn't write any, any of his music. He's like, here's what you have to check out. You got to check out Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry wrote all his own songs. Chuck Berry is the artist. He's the, he is the architect of rock and roll. He created the riff. And so Russell would tell me all these things. And then he started going deeper into music. Like, you know, he started me off with Chuck Berry and Dion and the Belmonts and, you know, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. And then he'd say, okay, now check out your little Richard. And you say, okay, now check out a uh, Creedence Clearwater revival, wow. you know, or like the next step. Now check out whatever, um, the animals now check out. And this, that, and, and I would write these down because there was no electricity up there. Then I would go to Vancouver as I was a young kid and I would start tracking down these records. And that basically allowed me to enter into the world of, of rock and roll and the world. Cause he would say, you know, dig deeper, like don't just listen to the top 40, you know, like if you dig the Beatles, you know, listen to the velvet underground and that really like the velvet underground was that massive catalyst uh, because they were like the first indie rock band. Right. Yeah. Like, like, like all indie can be traced back to the velvet underground. Sure. And of course, Velvet Underground influenced by the Beatles. And so anyway, it's all connected. And, and I, that's so Desolation Sound has a really special place in my heart. And when the Smugglers wrapped up and I started working at the CBC, I started getting vacation time for the first time in my life. And I started going back to the cabin in Desolation Sound. And I realized that all these people, you know, that I was nervous of and scared of when I was a kid, all these, all these hippies and Americans and all, they all had amazing stories. Like they all, every one of them had this fascinating story of how they got there. Like Russell, the hermit, he walked over the coast mountain range to get into desolation sound. And that, that's a massive mountain range. And he did it on foot. And I just started learning all these stories. And then I, I eventually compiled them into a book called adventures in solitude. And then they've spun off into podcasts where I take a character from the book and I do a pardon the totally overused phrase, but I do a deep dive into their lives. So the podcasts are the Hermit of Desolation Sound, Bernard, the German, the Cougar Lady Chronicles. These are all characters, real life characters from Desolation Sound, BC. That's incredible. And I think the latest one is about an oyster farmer named yeah. Linda Sims. And yeah, I've always wanted to do a reality show, like a TV reality show called uh, called Shocked about oyster, <laughs> about oyster farming. Oh, wow. Yeah, because <laughs> it's such a tough, tough life. Like to be an oyster farmer, oysters are best in the winter. And in the winter, low tides are at the middle of the night. Oh, so my. Your, your, your job is at three in the morning in the winter picking oysters. Oh, like it is not a dream gig at no, all. No. But yeah, she had an amazing life too. Another hippie uh, and, and just a crazy life. Started in Alberta, met up with a real wild guy. Uh, her, her name is Linda Sims. And she met up with a guy who she would spend her life with. And on their first date, he was charged with statutory rape. <laughs> and oh and she gosh. stuck with him. For the rest of her life. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. First, first date. 
It's a heck of a first date story. Eh? <laughs> that truly oh, yeah. is. That truly yeah, is. charged with rape, you know. <laughs> but, How'd it go? Uh, yeah, well, but, well, we went to the bowling alley not, and then he got arrested for rape. So, you know, I mean, yeah, whatever. Not great. <laughs> Wasn't the ending, but it was statutory rape because they got caught and he was older, quite a bit older. And the, it was the parents who had him charged. Oh, wow. Sure. But sure. she... She was a teenager and she was like, you can't do that with my boyfriend and he's my boyfriend and I love him. And she ran off with him. No kidding. And, and, and to her credit, she loved him. She spent the rest of her life with him. That's amazing. That's yeah, absolutely. Until, I can't wait to hear that. That's, that's yeah. one. I was reading kind of all the descriptions about those ver- various series, like the tall German, I think was one you just mentioned. Yeah, and the giant, the yeah. giant. And then, and then this one, I go, okay. I'm going to go back and find those and listen to those. Cause those are sound really interesting. They're all told in a kind of narrative style, uh, with, uh, kind of almost like, uh, like soundscape narrative. They're all told for CBC radio to a slightly older demographic. And so there's some, some like almost old school style sound effects, like, if someone is starting up an outboard motor, you hear the starting of an outboard motor type oh, fantastic. thing. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of soundscaping and a lot of effects in that, which is almost like old school radio, radio. like, like yeah. going way back, yeah. you know, yeah. going like the Like, and then he walked up the stairs, right. and you know, you hear, like, and then like you that. hear the door creaking as it yeah. opens. And yeah, sound effects are, are, are really fun. And especially doing your own, like you learn what, you, like, I remember I had a scene in one podcast where uh, the cougar lady, uh, who was a, a single woman living up in Desolation Sound, who tangled with a lot of mountain lions, cougars, she got into a tussle with one and her gun just fell apart on her. And she had to fight it with her bare hands. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she she ended up, like, like on the forest floor, she's grabbed, she's feeling around trying to find something, anything, a stick, a rock. And, and her hand feels like a pretty big rock, like the size of a, you know, whatever, a, a cantaloupe or a, a, you know, fairly like a bowling ball sized rock. And she just brings it down over and over and over again on the cougar's head. So I needed that sound effect. Oh boy. And so I ended up, uh, it was, I, I was doing that show in October. So I ended up taking a rock and recording a me smashing in a pumpkin and oh. did that for that. And it was very g- grim and grotesque. <laughs> but then like I, I didn't, I didn't use that because I'm like, shit, that sounds like I'm smashing a pumpkin. So I ended up using just a rock, just on the uh, soft dirt going boom, thump, boom, thump, boom, wow. with the reverberation of soft dirt. And it, it came across and people were, were disgusted. <laughs> They're like, how did you get, what did you kill to get that sound effect? Yeah, and they were, they were complaining like that it was too graphic. And whereas it's just me with a rock on dirt. Oh my gosh. Isn't yeah, that the but, best thing ever though? You really, <laughs> you got them. You had them. Yeah. And it's radio. Mean. It's radio. So it's all it is, is their imagination. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it's not like on television where you can see right. someone, you know, slitting another person's throat and it's incredibly uh, graphic and horrible and in, your face uh, in radio. Yeah. yeah. In radio, it's your imagination that's putting the pictures together. Totally. 
So I found that fascinating. Oh, that's amazing. I love that story. <laughs> that's great. Well, we might as well get back and talk about Lookout just a little bit here. I got a couple sure. more. In your mind, what do you think it is? And I think maybe we covered this a little bit. What do you think made Lookout kind of so iconic and so important to the general world of music and punk rock and pop punk in particular? Well, number one, it was just, it, it always takes someone to A, be willing to document the scene, but also have a good set of ears. And I have to say that Larry Livermore has some of the best ears in the history of rock and roll, in my opinion. I yeah. mean, you, you know, you, you had someone like Sam Phillips, great set of ears. You know, he, you know, Elvis, the, the, what, was, what do they call him? Like the big five, Orbis, and obviously the biggest, most legendary rock and rollers, white ones anyway, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, uh, and who else was there? Maybe in there? Buddy Holly, you could throw in there too. Yeah, there was another one out of the Sun, out of the Sun Records stable. I can't remember, but those guys. And then you know, in Georgia, there was Little Richard, and and so there was always someone who who was you know had the ears to say, yeah, that is that's gonna that's gonna go, that's gonna click. I love it. I hope other people are gonna love it too. And Larry, Larry Livermore had those ears, you know, he found and put out into the world Pansy Division, the first gay rock band uh, and great activists and, and the Mr. T experience and the queers and the screeching weasel. And most famously, of course, Green Day, right. which pretty much, I mean, I think Dr. Frank from the Mr. T experience is the sort of modern architect of what we know as the pop punk sound, Certainly, but Green Day was very much influenced by the Mr. T experience and kind of perfected it into these pop nuggets yeah. uh, that we know Green Day for. These energized pop nuggets where the singing is just locked in on that tone. And I think that's why Lookout was as huge as it was, is because Larry was able to pick and choose just the right bands. And, you know, I mean, the Smugglers we're a footnote in lookout history. We're like the Forrest Gump of lookout. You know, we were just kind of <laughs> hanging around on the periphery as the platinum records and gold records were being handed out. But we loved that association. We loved being there. We loved being a part of the family and it, it, it did not end well. It ended very, very badly for lookout. That's the shame yeah. because you look around epitaph still around sub pop still around fat records is still around. Alternative tentacles still around, but look out, crashed and burned. Yeah. And that's really, really sad. There's several reasons for that. You know, it, it's really sad that that happened, but the people that were involved in Lookout remain very close. And, uh, and, and there's a, just a, so many good memories and so many good feelings and stories from that era. And that's kind of why in a way you started doing the lookout zoom out was to more or less bring back some feeling of that family, of that togetherness of that kind of magic in yeah. some ways that took place in your time with lookout records. And, you know, just that whole scene was so amazing. Yeah. It, it, I yeah, mean, is that, is that kind of what it was is kind of your way yeah. of kind of bringing that back to us in some ways. Yeah. There's several reasons. So the lookout zoom out, it's a virtual show that happens at the last Sunday of every month. 
for so far, the first three months of, of 2021, we'll see if it goes past that. Cause they're like huge, huge undertaking put on. I didn't realize how much. So a friend of mine in Canada launched a concert online concert platform called side door entertainment, which is through zoom. And my wife is a singer songwriter started doing them. And I'm like, Oh, computer zoom, you know, like forget it. But then it, it turned out to be like very interactive and quite intimate. And during the pandemic, as everyone sort of shut in, just seeing each other's faces was therapeutic. And on zoom, you can actually get the sound to really be quite good now. So I thought, well, maybe we could, because they started up a Facebook group. It's called the lookout community Facebook group. And it took off like, Within a couple of months, Jesse from The Criminal started it. And within a couple of months, it's got like 8,000 active huge. members on it yeah, that are huge. constantly talking. So I'm like, well, geez, there's a, there's a huge interest in all of this. Everyone's interested in the stories. Everyone's interested in the music, the bands, the singles, the albums. And I thought, well, maybe we could do a, a live show on this side door thing that, that my friend Dan has created. And then I got the idea of kind of doing like a variety show on zoom charge for it like not make it free but charge a ticket price so there's a value to it and then you know get the artists to really pull up their socks and play the hits and sound as good as possible and give all the money to the bands you know because they're all out of work they're not touring right so get a bunch of people a couple hundred people whatever buy tickets and then you know spread the money around to the artists so the first one was in January with the queers and John Ginoli from Pansy division, Dr. Frank, Lisa from cub. And it was great. It was like, it went off behind the scenes. It was like total chaos, but what the audience saw was a pretty great show. I'm, I'm quite proud of how it came off. I have a great producer who works with me named Mark and it, it, it worked. And then we did a second one at the end of February and that had Dan Vapid from Screeching Weasel and who else was on that one? Uh, Rose Melberg from Ghost Sailor. And uh, there was uh, Oh Kepi from the Groovy Kepi, Goose. yeah. I have a list. And, I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. That's the only thing. And that, and that was wild too. Like that was really successful and more people showed up to that one. And then, so we're doing a third one, which might be the last one for a little while. Might take a break after that. And the third one is Ted Leo and the Avengers. Yeah, Penelope, Penelope from the Avengers, yeah. right? Yeah. Penelope Houston. And she's going to be backed up by a couple of people. And then we've also got Master Genie, who is kind of like the Phil Spector of Lookout right. without the, the murder. Um, and uh, <laughs> he, he just, he kind of crafted the lookout, the pop punk lookout sound. That sound, absolutely, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah he, you know, he worked with Green Day and he worked with Screeching Weasel and Queers and his own band, Squirt Gun, Ghoulies, to a lesser extent, The Smugglers. He did an album for us, our most successful album. And then we also have these great guys, uh, The High Fives. I've got one of their album covers here. Cool. And they're also in Brent TV and a bunch of other kind of early to mid era lookout artist. So it's going to be another, I think, crazy time. Uh, it'll work me to the bone. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Cause we also give away posters and there's a t-shirt now and there's like 
it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown, but I'm having to uh, coordinate all that. So, uh, but it's, it's fun. And basically I just like, I wanted Dan Vapid because I think he's one of the best pop punk songwriters that's ever lived. And he's kind of underrated and he, he sings in that pure tone like Billy Joe and, and he did it. His songs were great. And I just want to hear these songs too, right? Like, yeah, you so want to be been, a part of it. You want to enjoy yeah, it as well. Sure. Sure. I do. I just, I just want to hear the songs and I want people to get enjoyment from it. And, and people have been loving it. And the crazy thing about doing these shows, you know, the silver lining of doing a show in the, in a pandemic in an online format is that you can do it at, like we do it at noon Pacific. So that turns out to be 8 PM in England. 9 p.m. in Europe. So like on the last show, I've got a, an uber dorky nerd friend in England who counts up all the people and everything. He, there were people from 15 different countries on the last one. Oh my gosh. Wow. And I'm like 15 there. Like what? I, like, are, are there even that many countries in the world? I said stupidly. Um, <laughs> and he goes, uh, yeah, I think there's a few more than 15. Anyway, he showed me the list and it was of course Canada, the United States, England. But then after that it was like Argentina and Brazil and you know South Korea and uh, Mexico and you know lots of European countries. And I was just like I was just blown completely away. blown away by sure. it and and it's quite interactive like people are saying where they're from but I I can only keep I'm hosting them so I can only check out the chat so often sure. but it's, it's so much fun. And then we have people come on uh, and talk to the artists, which also creates really super emotional moments. And so it's been, uh, I think the word I keep coming back to is kind of, it's been kind of therapy in this time where we're all kind of locked away and trying to, you know, we're, if, if the pandemic has taught us anything is that we are just, social creature. Oh yes, indeed. You know, yes. we are, we are social animals that are meant to be enjoying music shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of other people. Like, you know, you think of a movie, right? Like so many of us watch movies on screens and stuff like that. And, you know, you can still enjoy the invisible man on a, a tiny screen or whatever, but imagine seeing the invisible man, the new one, the, the most recent one, which is a scary movie. Uh, imagine seeing that in a theater packed with people yeah. and the collective experience of everyone going, ah, 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 you know, cause I, have you seen that movie? I haven't seen that one. No. And well, I am a big horror it. fan and I have not well, seen it. It, 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 it verges, it, it rides the line between thriller and horror and, and it's, it's scary. Basically it's, uh, it, it takes the original invisible man story and gives it a kind of almost like a, a modern day, a bad date twist, like stalker twist. Ah, okay. the, inv the invisible man is a total asshole who's abusing his girlfriend. And she's trying to get away from him. Oh, wow. but how do you, how do you get away from an invisible man? Like someone you can't see. Sure. Yeah. How, how do you get away from a stalker who's invisible? That is a, that sounds terrifying. Honestly. It's horrific. <laughs> it is a horrific premise. And so anyway, I, I thought about that. I'm like, geez, you know, seeing this in a theater would have been unreal with, with that, those collective gasps and screams. And it's, and it's the same thing with music and, and 
So we'll see how long it takes, but that's why the Lookout Zoom Out exists, is to basically bring people together, get some smiles, get some music out there, get that collective unity, that collective experience going for us. And the cool thing is is that unites people not only from across the United States and Canada, but all over the world. So it's been fun. It's been really fun. It's a hell of a lot of work. My wife helps me out with it too, but it's, uh, it's been very rewarding. That's great. And that's the thing I've heard reading and hearing people kind of talk about it online and and things like that. The interaction that people get to have with the artists and some of those emotional exchanges, like you kind of hinted at, that's been huge. I think with, um, Lisa from cub had an especially kind of emotional song or set that really touched a lot of people and kind of helped people out. And that's, yeah, we've lost our sense of community in some ways in more ways than one politically in the United States, especially, but things like this really help bring us together. And I think it's a fantastic thing that you're doing with this. So, well, thanks a lot. And you know, as a Canadian, obviously like we did the first one in January, which as a Canadian looking South, I mean, January had to be one of your darkest months in uh, politically ever, Uh, a very, very, very terrible time for the country, especially in that first week. And uh, it's been been a lot quieter ever since uh, that inauguration. Got to say, uh, (laughs) so nice and calm, but you know, I was promoting that show zoom out one through all of that. And, and I just kept saying like, look, as a Canadian, your new president and your new vice president is saying like, let's come together. Like let's, let's unify, let's cross the aisle to use uh, his term. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to quote your new president because that's, I don't want politics to exist at the lookout zoom out. I, I, there's, I don't care. Like in Canada, you know, I know it's become way more polarized in the States, but in Canada you can vote conservative or you can vote NDP or liberal and you can still break bread together and hang out and have a beer. And, but in, in the States it it had become so polar and that existed in the lookout scene too. And I, I, I kept trying to convince everybody like I'm not kicking that person off the bill. You know, like that person can vote the way they want to vote. I think but I know what you're, you're kind of, are you talking about Joe queer? Was that kind yeah, of, uh, or Joe exactly. King? Right. And exactly. I was going to bring I, that up and I, I kind of decided, well, you know what? No, I don't want to, because I don't want this conversation to really be about politics either. Yeah. Well, and I, and I don't either, but I, I, I kept him on because he's an old friend Certainly. and we toured a lot with each other. We trust each other. I know he's put views out there that other people don't agree with, uh, but he is, he's a great songwriter in my opinion, especially his pop songs. Some of the songs that he's put out there are questionable and dated. And I challenge him on that as much as anybody, but there are a lot of beautiful love songs that he has written from the heart and he played those and he, he kept his politics at bay and we had a great time. That's great. And everyone had a great time. Everyone parked it at the door. We all came inside the, you know, the virtual space and we all had a great time and nobody fought and nobody called each other names and nobody did anything rude or stupid. 
uh, like the leadership had shown in your country for however many four years it was. Right. And we just, it was like, it felt as fresh a beginning uh, and, and a turning of the page. It was like a, 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 a microcosm of really like the fresh start that, that you guys are all hopefully getting. And I'm showing too much. I'm, I'm showing my cards too much, but as a Canadian that lives in a socialist country with socialized medicine and socialized radio and socialized uh, kids programs and everything, you know, we look down there and and go like, come on, you guys, like just, just get along. It's it's so much better this way. Oh no, you and I are completely on the same page in that regard. And, 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 in, and in, by the and end of this, like, I'll be begging you for sponsorship for citizenship. Don't worry about that. It's yeah. definitely going to happen at some point. So, okay. <laughs> and, and yeah, we, we don't, we just Canadians, we can never figure out why certain Americans think socialism is, is such a, uh, like a, a heinous term because we, we live by it. And so do a lot of other European countries and a lot of other countries around the world that are doing fine. Yeah, that are doing absolutely fine and nobody's nobody's going broke from taxes and you actually have you don't have to worry about an ambulance ride to the hospital making you lose your house through bankruptcy exactly. like we do, you know. Exactly. So Yeah, exactly. So that's I mean that's such a beautiful thing. I think with the lookout zoom out and that kind of spirit of unity is something that we do need very badly these days and just to leave all of our bullshit behind us and have a goddamn good time for a little bit and talk and listen to music and have fun. And we be leave the better for it, in my opinion. Yeah. So that was all I wanted to say. Thank you for doing that. I'm, I can't wait to see number three coming up here at the end of the month. I'm excited for that. Here's one that might require a tiny bit of thought, but this is rhetorical and okay. kind of a goofy off the cuff thing in some ways. You have to go back on tour with the Smugglers and one band from the Lookout roster from any era, any time. For an entire year, 365 days, you were on tour. (laughs) There's no COVID. There's nothing. Everything is clean, safe, and you're good to go. What band is that that you would take on that tour with you, and why is it Dr. Frank? That is the question that I want to know the answer to tonight. I don't think it would be Dr. Frank. Oh, even no. Though we, oh no. Yeah. We, we've toured with them the most, I think. But the reason is that the, the Mr. T experience have kind of gone through various lineups and I, I don't know any of the new guys and I'm sure they're all really nice and everything, but I, I know Frank pretty well, but no, the band that I would choose would be the Donna's really? uh, because yeah, the Donna's and the Smugglers got along really, really well. We toured a lot together. We gelled together. Uh, we made true friendships, and I'm friends with them to this day. And Great. and there's a, you know, there's something about the male female dynamic, like beyond we none no. Well, I guess there was a little bit of hanky panky, but uh, I was about to say there was no sexual escapades or mixing. Yeah. There was no, there was no, there was nothing like that because, you know, the smugglers were all uh, hooked up and the Donna's were all hooked up, but I did um, make out with uh, famously somewhat in, in our, let's say infamously 
I made out with Donna F the bassist uh, quite heavily on the last night of the tour. But then I found out I was basically a pawn because she was trying to fulfill this 40 boys and 40 nights thing. Uh, one of their songs and the tour and the tour had been 40 nights. And so I think I was the last one, something Uh, like that. She kind of, she kind of denies that now, but, uh, yeah. And, uh, so anyway, uh, it would be the Donna's. I think, I, I just think we had really, really fun times with them. They totally rocked. They were totally professional. Oh, the band's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The band is no probably drama. my favorite lookout band to be totally honest yeah. with you. So there was no drama uh, that I can recall, you know, that they trusted us. We trusted them. Trust is a big, big thing. I mean, I trust all the lookout bands. There was never any problem with trust, but we just, hit it off so uh that's that would be my answer the donna's okay unexpected yeah. unexpected but a great answer now did did the smugglers and the donna's do a split did you guys do a split seven inch at some time i don't think so um Maybe i'm thinking of something no, else no we we never did a split we toured a lot together but i don't think we ever did any sort of promo seven inch or anything like that no, no, I don't think so. They did a, they did a split with Kiss. You're not mistaking us for Kiss, are you? I might be. I might be at this point. <laughs> yeah, they they both did Strutter, I think. I had that. no really. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. That was the yeah, major was label the, days, though. For no, sure. No, that was on Lookout. That no kidding. Kiss Kiss put out a song on Lookout. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, it was it was. Because the Donnas, I think, were in or were on the soundtrack for the movie Detroit Rock City. Detroit Rock City, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then the, I, I, I can't remember, the, but then as a promo for the movie, Lookout did a single with the Donnas and Kiss. No kidding. I'm going to have to yeah, look it, that up. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think the Donnas were in that movie playing a live oh, set a or club. something, weren't they? Yeah. At a club. Yeah. 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 Eddie Furlong or something. Wasn't he the star of that yeah, I movie? think so. Yeah. Eddie Furlong. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. From Terminator. <laughs> yep, Terminator 2. The kid from Terminator. Ter- yes. Yeah. That was a funny movie. That was actually a great, pretty great movie in some ways. Yeah. I'm not it a was. huge, huge Kiss fan. I mean, I kind of am. Mind. Being a kid from the 70s, I grew up with it, you know, and it was, my brother was Is super, it? super into it, but not a huge fan on, no. on my own, you know, so no, neither. They scared the hell out of me when I was a little kid. <laughs> the demon. Come on. That was oh, what he was supposed awful. to do. So. <laughs> awful. Yeah. All right. Well, the last question really is number three, look out, zoom outs coming out pretty soon after that might be going on still kind of depending on yeah, if you want to continue to do it or not kind of thing. Yeah. It's going to, I mean, they are, as I say, like, I mean, I'm supposed to be, doing other things. I was supposed to be finishing a book. I'm, you know, I've got my day job. I've got, and the lookout zoom outs, they take so much time because there's a lot of technology. I get five artists per show. Each one of them has to, I have to teach them each one, you know, the whole technology over again. I'm like, you gotta, have, as we learned at the beginning of this interview, you gotta have your ethernet cable plugged in. You gotta have a, you know, a good microphone, you know, like, like this or yeah. like yours. You know, you, you got to sound good. You got to look good. You got to have a webcam. So it's, it's a lot to, to drop onto all these artists and to coax them through. And I'm not much of a techie guy, but I mean, some of these lookout artists who are, again, good friends. I mean, they're making me look like Steve Jobs on this thing. 
I mean, they're, <laughs> they're so out of it. I mean, like some of their computers are like, what, what, you know, is there like, it's like in the Flintstones where there's like a squirrel on a wheel in the <laughs> right, back. You're like, you, like know, you plug in your USB cable and it's oh, like, no, no, I don't, I have a hand crank on mine. Yeah, I don't know what exactly, you're talking about. You know, so. There's a bird that like pecks the keys. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, so it's been a little bit exhausting in, in that regard. Promoting it is hard too. It's hard to sell tickets to a virtual online event. It's hard I bet, to convince yeah. people that it's, that it's worth it. I mean, and then the other kind of the other stuff that shaves years off my life is um, everybody buys at the last minute. They buy the day of. So you, you go like, you know, okay ticket sales leading up. And then you sell like 80% of your ticket sales in the morning of the show. And it, oh. it, that drives me crazy. Oh, that's gotta I, be frustrating in some but ways. But at least they're, at least they're selling. I mean, yeah, true, you know, right. I, I can't, I can't complain that because then I have money to pay the bands, but uh, yeah, if, if there's any message I would put out there is ease my pre-show anxiety and buy your ticket to the lookout zoom out early at sidedooraccess.com. Buy them in advance. Sidedooraccess.com. That's the website Mm -hmm. to go to, right? Great. And I'll post links to the various uh, ways you can get to the Lookout Zoom Out and buy tickets and all that on all my social media stuff in regards to this episode as well. So people can definitely do it. I'm going to be there. You know, I hope lots and lots of other people are there too, for sure. Cause this is, I think this would be a great thing. I'd love to see this continue on until we get live shows back at the very least. Yeah. You know, so. Well, what I'm thinking is like, I'm, I'm a little like winter is a great time to do them. I'm a little concerned. I guess this doesn't really apply to San Diego, but I am a little concerned that the weather in the rest of North America is going to get nicer and nicer. And it might be harder to convince people to, to come in on a Sunday afternoon, come inside. Yeah, when they want so, to be outside at the beach or camping or doing whatever, you know. Yeah, like New activities. Yorkers and, and, you know, people in the Midwest. and so, Like, they, they suffer through a long winter. It's very true, yeah. So very when very it gets true. nice, they, they want to be outside. Yeah. And Vancouverites, Canadians are the same way. So we'll see. You know, I like the number three. I, I, I like you know, the, the, the trifecta. So right now I'm, I've decided that I think it's going to be three for now. And then we'll see, you know, I'm working on some of the bigger lookout artists to, to try to convince them to do it. I actually had an idea while we were talking about mending fences and unity and all that of, of getting a guy that has been a uh, major catalyst of uh, unrest at lookout over the years, but I thought, well, I'm going to really talk about bringing people together. Maybe I should probably try to get that guy, mm. but uh, I'll let people guess. as to who There that guy you go. There be. you go. We're not going to press you on that point. So yeah. great. Okay, great. <laughs> well, great, Grant. It was absolute pleasure talking to you for this episode. Yeah, Bob, it was a real thrill talking to you too. And uh, thank you. Uh, and I would love to come back sometime and just talk about ghosts and horror movies. Oh, you're welcome anytime. In fact, yeah, okay. we'll we'll talk about that. I'll send you an email or something, and we'll see what we can work out. I'm sure we'll figure something okay. out. So, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me, Bob. You got it, Grant. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. All right. Take, see take you care, later. Buddy. All right. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Well, there you have it, folks. The Grant Lawrence interview and lookout zoom out episode. I got to tell you. I'm really happy with the interview 
that I had with Grant, and I'm very happy overall with this episode. What an amazing person. Grant uh, is such an incredible person. When I was setting this one up, it was like, oh, this will be easy, no problem. I'm talking to the singer from The Smugglers. We're going to talk about Lookout Zoom Out. Piece of cake, right? Well, I started researching it and looking into who Grant Lawrence was and what we could talk about. And oh my God, there is so much more to Grant than what I originally believed. He's a really incredible and very interesting person to talk to. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this one and all the incredible and rad stuff that Grant had to say. Plus, you got to hear some great songs by The Smugglers to boot. Talk about a win-win. That's a pretty good situation to be in, I think. And let's say to hear more really rad music and some of your favorite Lookout Records people play some songs, talk about some stuff and more, grab a ticket to the third and maybe final Lookout Zoom Out by visiting www.sidedooraccess.com. Now, let me explain something. The actual web address for the sidedooraccess.com page to get to the Lookout Zoom Out stuff, it's very long, a lot of numbers, a lot of lowercase letters, yada, yada. It's very confusing. So you can go to the main sidedooraccess.com page, click on Shows, and kind of go through that section of the webpage, and you'll find ticket access for the third Lookout Zoom Out. For what might be an even easier solution, well, you can go to this episode's page on the Bobcast website, which is www.iwantapartywithbob.com slash podcasts, and there will be a link directly to that ticket purchase page. Or even easier than that, maybe, and I could have said this from the very beginning, I know, you could just Google, look out Zoom Out 3, there you go, it pops right up, very easy. So that third Lookout Zoom Out is coming up on March 28th, 2021. So do not delay. Buy your tickets today. On that note, why don't we close this episode out? A huge thanks to Grant for the interview and for letting me play the Smugglers songs in this episode. Thank you so much, Mr. Grant Lawrence. I do appreciate it. Thanks as well to Chris Knott for setting this whole thing up. Chris, I owe you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. As always, I really do appreciate you. Please consider joining my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash I want to party with Bob for exclusive content and more. And please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's the smugglers with the song Buddy Holly Convention. Thank you so much for tuning in to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. What's the deal with the glasses? There are honorary nerd passes. Are you on the way to the chess club today? Everybody make way for the wildos with our geek goggles on our nose. All the geek and time twins.